So there are many things that we as a youth group, maybe you as a family, with air quotes, lovingly joke and tease and fight with each other over when it comes to Christmas. And you've already heard a couple from the pulpit. I know my, I actually got a text when this was happening. Um, my friend Matt Ferris, one of the elders, was roasting me and others uh, for when we celebrate our Christmas music and how long and different things. And I had roasted him, not by name, but and others before uh, for those of you that celebrate Christmas in October, what are you doing? And yet at the same time, go ahead. Since COVID, I just don't even care anymore. My, I got to ask this week what my favorite Christmas song is. It's by a um, Pacific Northwest Christian kind of rapper named Peabody, or Peabody, and it's called Never Ending Christmas. Go look it up. It's a fun video, um, and it's a fun song. There's not a, a massive point to it, but it's good and fun. And it catches me since COVID of, hey, if Christmas music is what gets you through the craziness of this world, go for it. My only qualifier on that, as I've said a couple times, is this. When you all take your tree down tomorrow night, I'm still going through January 6th. That was Matt. The woo. I'm still going to January 6th because we're just starting Christmas this evening. But... For those of you that, that you got to put the inflatables away, that's another fight, by the way. Inflatables, not inflatables, do they ruin Christmas? Are they the best thing ever? Whichever you feel like on that, Christmas movies and everything else. But I have a new one for you that I didn't even know was a fight until this week. How old was Joseph? I love that some of you had an answer on that. That was, that was wonderful. I, I looked it up because I thought, you know what, sometimes youth group and even up here, if I'm, if I'm stating something off the cuff and I haven't looked it up, sometimes I'm totally wrong and I'm like, oh, do I correct that? What do I do? How do I get the word out? That is now recorded and online forever with me getting a, a just something that my brain's trying to grab out of the, the Rolodex back there and the filing system that doesn't even make sense to anybody else. But I, So I looked it up and I thought... Probably the standard, and I might mention again later, is, is probably 17 to 20-ish. Um, that'd be the range. A little bit older than Mary. Remember, we looked at Mary's story last week, this amazing teenager. We don't know her age either, but she certainly wasn't too old. She'd have been in the teen range. And it's incredible the faith that you see from Mary. She still needed Jesus as her Savior too. Get that theology correct. But it's an amazing story about a teenage girl Yes, a mom. Yes, she was about to get married anyways. Different cultures than we have mostly throughout the history of the world on that one. But how old was Joseph? And the answers I got surprised me. There were the standard ones, 17 to 20. You might have them a little older, like 20. I saw one. These are my two favorites. I don't agree with them at all, but I saw one that was 50. And I thought that one blew my mind. I thought, okay, Boaz and Ruth. Boaz maybe could have been in the 50 range. You probably think of him as a little younger but he's a kinsman redeemer. We don't really get his age either. Ruth would have probably been in her 20s, but that's a whole other fun debate if you want to. But 50, that one shocked me a little bit. I've never thought in the manger scene of a 50-year-old, that's me, I'm 49 and almost 50 in March is when I turned 50, in there. It's, in, if you've ever been to a smaller church, by the way, where there aren't all the age ranges, sometimes that happens where you have Joseph being a 50-year-old, and everybody looks at it and they accept it because you can't have not Joseph in the manger scene, but it's a little weird. They're looking at it and their, their brain's trying to commune on the math on that a little bit. But here was the one that was the kicker. Nobody's having this fight, but it actually got asked. 
I have the website in my notes if you want to see it. I, I, it and it's, it's a Q&A that popped up on a Christian website. And it was somebody asking, was Joseph 95? Okay, 50, you might have an argument, history of the world, that happened from time to time. It's weird to us, but because, you know, 50 and 15, that's not an acceptable age range. But 95, I almost lost my mind. I mean, not literally, but I, I'm, I'm looking at the site. I'm thinking, is this at all a, a legit site? Let's go with maybe, um, but legi- legitimate enough. And I'm trying to think of... This kid on the playground arguing with their friends that Joseph was 95. There are some things that are outside of the realm of accepted debate, and this would be one of them. Unless you're going to argue he and Abraham were the only two in the, the daddy and me thing that would connect with each other if they got connected or were around each other. 95 just is not in the debate, and we need to learn, by the way, as Christians, to sometimes reject, I'm going to use this word, you can put it in quotes if you want, I don't want to be offensive to the person that asked this, if they were before me, I wouldn't use this, but we need to learn to reject dumb and out of nowhere answers sometimes. When, when we have the same response that we all had, no offense to our 95-year-olds in the room, but my guess is you don't want to have a baby and start over right now. I, I think I'm safe in that assumption. Even some of the 50-year-olds, if they found out today that they were having a baby, might have a similar response, and some would love it and embrace it. But 95, I think, I think we're pretty safe on that one. We're not ready to have a one-year-old when we're 96. So we need to learn to, to grab those and just enjoy them for what they are but not take them serious. 50 might be a reasonable debate. It's probably not even there. 95 certainly is out of bounds. But it's a fun way to start looking at Joseph's story. Last week, we looked at Mary's story. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, the end of it. You can turn there if you want to, verse 18. And we're looking at Christmas through Joseph's experience. It's the same moment with a different person, and it's a different experience because of it. And yet, it's very similar to last week's story. The Christmas story should be most likely, if you've been around the church long enough and you're old enough, one you're very familiar with. And yet, as I mentioned last week, we go watch many versions of the Christmas carol every year because it's just a great story. The Christmas story is even greater, and it's true. So coming back to it every year is worth revisiting to celebrate the incarnation, that God loved us and that he came as a baby. Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, that's the kingly line, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You go back to verse 18. We'll go through it one verse at a time. It's a short passage. It's not going to take us long, so we'll reread the verses, at least if I remember, every time we get to them. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's last week's passage. That's what we looked at. It actually precedes it by a little bit, if you listen to the wording, but it's around the same time. Mary finds out. She goes and sees Elizabeth. They rejoice together. When, Mary, when Elizabeth has her baby, Mary comes back. And sometime in that moment, sometime in that three-month time span, Joseph has this experience, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And it points this out. Before they came together, and then it says it again in verse 25, the Christmas accounts are, are tough on some classic theology, not necessarily Christian theology, but classic theology. Last week, we looked at the virgin birth, the immaculate conception. The virgin birth is biblical and theologically true. The immaculate conception, if you understand it, that Mary's mom was a virgin also, that's dismantled and by scripture, and it points out that Mary needed a savior also. This one is undermining the perpetual, perpetual virginity of Mary. It makes it clear that's not a thing. It mattered here with Christ because there were theological implications of it. Needed to be fully man, born of Mary, and fully God. Not born of Joseph and yet fathered by Joseph. That makes Joseph, by the way, a stepdad. Stepdad's in a room. This is your passage. Looking at him and saying, what did he do that I need to replicate? Because the Christmas story, if you look at the verses above in Matthew 1, by the way, there are some sketchy people that are in the lineage of Jesus. I shouldn't say sketchy people. I, I should say stories that when we look at them, people sometimes are in shock and awe. How could Jesus include them in the lineage? That's a beautiful part of the incarnation. He just says, You're, you all have a sketchy story. And you are all wonderfully in Matthew 1 pulled into this beautiful story of the incarnation. And in it, we don't just have an amazing teenage virgin that is giving birth, but we have an incredible and unwavering stepdad in Joseph because we see his character. So it's another cool part about it. But Joseph, like Mary, needed Jesus as his savior. He isn't perfect. He's not a sinless man. But he is a good man. Verse 19 points this out. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her or separate from her quietly. Betrothed is a little bit like being engaged, but it's a little different. Some of you already know that. Some of you are learning that for the first time because this might be the first time going through that story, and that's wonderful. It was more significant than our engagement in that you couldn't just, I mean, and it's awkward when people break up and they're engaged, but there's no legal ramification to it. This one did. It was much closer to marriage that way, even though you weren't married yet. 
So there had to be a legal separation in what was going on. And Joseph is wrestling with this. She's clearly cheated on me because I know how this works. That's all he knows. She's pregnant and we didn't do anything. So I know what that means. But being a just man, he's going to separate, but he doesn't want to humiliate her. She's shamed him culturally, at least that's what he thinks. It's not true, we know that, but he hasn't found that out yet. But he's still going to be the good man in his love for her and take care of it quietly and just move on. She did not do right by me, but I will still do right by her, and it declares his character. He is a just man. He's a good man. This is Joseph. It's almost all that we know about him, by the way. He does not get a long story in Scripture. We have to assume things. We have to assume the kind of dad he is, but this is the insight that we have. It's that he was good. So certainly then, while not perfect with Jesus, we can safely assume he was good to Jesus, that he was a good stepdad. It's a beautiful picture. So last week, we have an amazing teenage mom. This week, he's considering what to do, but he is unwavering in his character, and also possibly, by the way, still a teen himself. 17 to 19 is in range, maybe 20 and a little older, but he's still young, So we still have a young man, but he is a good man, a just man. But he he does believe that he's just found out his intended has betrayed him. And he too knows how the world works, but he's still trying to protect her. But for the moment, just because you're familiar with the story, don't jump ahead in it. For the moment, he is still going to send her away. He's just going to do it quietly. He's not going to make a big deal out of it in front of everybody. He's just going to say, okay, if you've moved on from me, we are not yet married. I'll take care of this legally, and I will move on from you. And then we get to verse 20. Of course, we know this already if you're familiar with the story, but this is when he finds out. But as he considered these things, what do I do? What do I make of Mary? She's not who I thought she was, even though she's exactly who he thought she was. He's about to find that out. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And an angel tells him, Joseph, you're wrong. I know why you think you're right, and normally you would be right. But let me tell you what's actually happened. And we hear the same thing that Mary was told last week in Luke 1. It's a shorter version of it, but it's the same thing. As he considered, he too has an angel. This one, though, not given a name. I don't know why, but Matthew doesn't name his angels. Luke did. Matthew doesn't. Arguably, you could say it's Gabriel. Gabriel came and visited Mary. Gabriel came and visited Zechariah. He also happens to be the angel that visited Daniel. I don't know if anybody else, by the way, took a little bit of a deep dive on angels this week as they came up last week and I talked about it. Here's some quick stuff that that I bumped into. Some of it I knew. Some of it I thought, again, where is this coming from? I'm not sure. But you have the cherubim and seraphim. We sang about them before. They're kind of crazy. I mean, they're not... Mentally crazy, but when we see them, we don't know what to do. They're wild to us. 
If you look it up, you might bump into, and you'll see this with, from Christians, you'll see it from non-Christians, that there are nine ranks of angels. I don't know where people get that from. I don't remember reading that in Scripture. If anybody knows the passage, please let me know. But in that, too, it had that archangels are below cherubim and seraphim, and I just thought, I think they're just different. But if there's a ranking to angels that we know of that's spelled out in Scripture, great. Here's a little glimpse of tonight's story, though. We're going to be in Luke 2, and it's when we see them in force and in mass, in numbers. It's the heavenly stratia. That's just the word for host, but it sounds cooler than host to me. So the heavenly stratia that visits the shepherds. Those of you who love sci-fi movies like me think the Avengers, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, the mega, mega battle scene, because this is what's going to pop up with the, with the shepherds. You have an angel, again, not spelled out on that one, which it is, but an angel, but then there's a host that comes with them, a stratia. So picture, right, go a little bit Bob Ross for a minute and put a little bit of cherubim up here. If you need to read about the cherubim, we first bump into them at Genesis 3. They're guarding us from the Garden of Eden. They're kind of against us in that way, but also for us. It's a grace that we can't go into Eden, even though it's the curse and a result of the fall, but they're protecting us from Eden for whatever reason, while also protecting Eden from us, and they are wild looking. You see them also in Ezekiel and Revelation, by the way. They are massive, two-winged, lion, bull, eagle, man-faced protectors. Whatever else they do, they do that. Picture them. When you, if you're with us tonight at 5 o'clock or if you're reading it on your own, when you're reading Luke 2 and you see the shepherds and the hosts show up, who said they're all what we think they are as opposed to what Scripture presents the angels as? So picture some cherubim up there. Throw some seraphim up in this corner. They are the six-winged, wings flying, wings covering, wings covering their face, wings covering their feet, Cry, oh, eyes everywhere, by the way, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So put the cherubim and put the seraphim there because if I'm sending an army, I'm sending my army, my full army. I'm not just sending a couple people unless it's a Navy SEAL detail or something, in which case you probably didn't even know my army showed up until you're dead. But if I'm on display, we see this at the base, we see this flyovers at football games where we show our power, and that's what's going on, not here with Joseph, but tonight with the shepherds. They're on display. So you have the cherubim, you have the seraphim, you can read about them in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, and elsewhere, by the way. And then more typically what we think, the soldiers that look like us but cause us to be terrified every time we see them in Scripture with the exception of Mary, and we are told, don't be afraid. Only you're picturing them wrong because if you think there are wings on them, there's no indication they have wings. The wings are the seraphim and the cherubim. Every time we see the people like, people looking angels, they look like people with no wings in Scripture, but they're floating flying, which to be honest, if I see a big soldier person floating flying with no wings, I think I'm a little more terrified, aren't I? How? Wings I get. It's weird, but I get it. 
But floating in space, I've seen that sci-fi movie too, and it's always bad for the people on the planet. (laughs) And this is that picture. The shepherds have one angel talking to them, and you have maybe chariots. It doesn't specify. It just says says the angels. But why wouldn't many of the angels show up? So think of cherubim and seraphim and the super soldier angel force that shows up, which, by the way, is exactly what we see with Elisha and his servant when Elisha prays that he would have his eyes open and he sees the hills fold with horses and chariots of fire. So maybe there's horses and chariots of fire that are floating in the air also. And angels, but we know this, it's an army. Picture it right. I love talking about this with the students. We need to expand our nativity scene. This is a great start. But somewhere, grab your kids, I'll come back to this at the end briefly, but grab your kids' action figures and stuff and start putting out more scenes for them if you want to. I failed as a parent. I always talked about doing this but never remembered to do this. So I challenge some of you, have fun with this. We'll, we'll wrap, start to wrap up in a little bit with that. I'll come back to some of the characters you maybe forgot. But one of the displays you could have out with the shepherds is go get some transformers and throw them out as the angel army along with some others. Something that your kids look at and go, wait, what's that one? That's not what I think of when I see an angel. I think of the Victorian lady on the top of our tree. Or at our house, it's Mickey. I love the Mickey. I don't, it, it makes no theological sense, but I love the Mickey. Okay? And tell them, well, let me explain. We don't know a lot. But let me explain a little bit of the angels. And here... It says, boom, it's an army. We'll read that story tonight, though. Here, Joseph has the same moment as Mary. It's just an angel, which is no less impressive, by the way. But it's a single unnamed angel. Again, for whatever reason, Matthew doesn't name his angels, at least at the beginning. Maybe he does later in his gospel, but he doesn't here. But this is cool. The angel comes and he gives Joseph the same moment as Mary. It's going to be a virgin birth. But in doing so, God does this. God defends her to the one that mattered most to her. As Joseph is wrestling with, do I dismiss her because she's offended me and wronged me? She sinned against me. And God says she didn't sin. She's been faithful to you, but you have a wild story that's going to unfold in your life. But you are a just man. And God defends her, Mary, to Joseph, the one person in her life that she would need most. How amazing is that? We have this amazing teenage mom to be, and we have an incredible, unwavering stepdad to be. And God says, Joseph, you don't want to dismiss her. I'm going to defend her to you. She is faithful. And she needed him. She would have struggled in life without Joseph. We don't know the rest of the details of his story except for one moment where we see him and Jesus and Mary and they forgot him at the temple. And that's all we get from Joseph except for this Christmas story and that one. But we know this, he was a good man, and God defended Mary to him, and then Joseph was faithful to protect and take care of Mary 
and Jesus. He was an incredible stepdad. And what a cool part of the Christmas story. Continues on. This is where it becomes even more significant. Verse 21. This is the amazing part of the Christmas story. Verse 21. She will be a, bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. That's why he's called Jesus. He'll call his name Jesus, Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. Why are you going to call him Jesus? Because he's a savior. He will save Mary. He will save you. He will save his siblings that put their faith in him. And he will save anyone who calls on the name of Jesus from their sins. He will save his people. The fall is defeated. How cool is that? goes all the way back to Genesis 3. You just didn't realize that all those times you've read it in your lifetime. You heard the words, but you maybe didn't connect it to that. But the fall is defeated. Sin is conquered. It's tying into the cross. The cross hasn't happened yet, but it's connected. Scripture just connected Christmas and Easter The Christmas story tells us that the first coming is one moment that unfurls over 33 years. It's culminated, it's finished, it's completed at the cross, but it started here. Because he's come to save his people from their sins. And then it continues on, verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, proving that God's word, no matter how incredulous it might seem, is always worth believing he is true and faithful to his word. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The fall is defeated. Jesus conquered sin. We celebrate that at Easter time. We start celebrating that at his birth, the incarnation, Christmas time. But it also tells us this, Emmanuel, God with us. The fall is also corrected. Those cherubim that are holding us off from the garden where where Adam and Eve walked with God and they are kicked out because sin has separated them from God. It's corrected because God is with us. And for 33 years he lived among us and sin is conquered and we're restored And God is with us and will never get taken away again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus says it's even better than if he had just kept living until everything was restored at the end. He says, the Spirit in you is an even closer God with us. And it's wonderful, but the fall is corrected at Christmas. It's completed at Easter But as he pronounces it, he says, this, Jesus, is taking care of the fall. You're no longer condemned to wander in the darkness. I mentioned we come back to this. I love to expand your nativity 
concept. We talk about it with the youth. Some other people in the Christmas story that we're not going to get to this year, but you should definitely go read their stories as a family. I'll mention these first two tonight, but we're not going to talk about them. In Luke 2, you have Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. And I would say, I mentioned this before, go find some action figures that you have or dolls on hand, but you can also use ornaments or Dickens Village characters. You can special order things if you can go find them on Amazon or for my fans in the room, you can use Funko Pop. But in Luke 2, Caesar Augustus, here's my suggestion, grab a Scrooge, or even better, a Scrooge McDuck, and throw him in a nativity somewhere and say, kids, tell your grandkids, your kids, anybody who comes over, your family, Caesar Augustus is part of the story. He's not a significant part, but he matters. We threw him in the nativity. Quirinius, just grab any Dickens villager that exists, especially if they look like a businessman. But the two even better ones are Anna and Simeon. An amazing story. Parents, you need to read this with your kids today. Go see what they have. We're not going to get to them, but my suggestion for those, for Anna, grab Mrs. Claus. Even better, if you can find a Jessica Fletcher, that's Angela Lansbury. Mrs. Claus, she played that a long time ago. I don't know if they made a character, but she'd be a great Anna. For Simeon, grab Charlie's grandpa from Willy Wonka. (laughs) Throw him in the scene, but tell your kids This one represents Simeon and Anna who are waiting for Jesus, their Messiah. And they got to see their Savior, God with us, and then tell their words. Because that's the whole point of a nativity story, that we'd see it and we'd be reminded of the incarnation that Jesus saves and that God is with us. That's the point. It isn't about Mary and Joseph, but it is about Mary and Joseph's son, Two more for you, Matthew 2, Herod, he's easy, he's the Grinch, both Scrooge and Grinch. Of course, that's pre-change, but Herod is the Grinch, he's a mean one, and his heart is way too small. But then the other one, and you can, I would encourage you, even with your kids, you got to be more careful how you talk about this one, but you could even have a grieving town in Bethlehem scene. I'm not going to give you funny characters for this one, but... We looked at this Thursday night with our longest night service for those who weren't there. It's important to remember that sometimes Christmas leaves us grieving, like the little town of Bethlehem. We're faced with brokenness and loss and pain in the many versions post-fall of what that looks like as we await the full redemption of Christ's return It's secured at the cross, but we still live in this brokenness. It will be fully realized when he comes again. It's no less certain, and it's resolved and taken care of, but if you still struggle with the brokenness of sin, like the little town of Bethlehem, I'd encourage you, turn to the tear collector, Psalm 56, 8. The tear collector that we see being whisked away to Egypt, but even as an infant toddler, he was the star creator Psalm 147, and tear collector, our good shepherd, John 10, and Psalm 23. And he sings over us, Zephaniah 317, and he calls us by name. This is the Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas and Easter. For he is Emmanuel, God with us, God with us today. The fall and the curse corrected, it is God incarnate a beautiful, amazing, impossible thing 
and yet God does the impossible. Emmanuel, God with us, and he is Jesus. He saves sinners. Our Savior, the curse and the fall, defeated. And both Mary and Joseph, at different moments, but in the same window of time, are told, your Savior's come, and he's going to be your child. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, mighty, holy, we praise your name. There are so many wild and crazy parts of the Christmas story, and we are so familiar with it, sometimes we lose the significance and the impact. But help us tonight to catch the power that the shepherds see. Lord, help us to catch the moments with an amazing teenage mom and an unwavering good man of a stepdad in Joseph and Mary who somehow were tasked with raising God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, our Savior and our King. And so, Lord, we praise your name. Amen.